morning. Happy Thanksgiving week. Happy to be here with you guys today. I want to start off the Thanksgiving week strong. Uh, Remember, uh, tonight we have our Thanksgiving dinner together, so be here for that. Let's celebrate all that the Lord has done for us. I want to tell you, uh, in light of that dinner tonight, I want to tell you how thankful I am for you. Uh, how blessed I feel to know you, how thankful I am that you're in my life, Um, and I'm just proud of you, and I'm so thankful, and I love you very much. Let's move on uh, today in 1 Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2. We sort of began 1 Peter chapter 2, looked at verses 1 through 3 last week along with some other passages. We're looking at born again to a living hope the cornerstone and the living stones as we see in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 10. Before we begin this morning, let's just pray and ask God to bless bless us through his word. Father God, we love you. We are thankful to be here in this place today to worship you. We are thankful that you've given us breath and you've given us life and another day to worship your son. Lord, thank you for the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ who came to this earth, who was 100% God and 100% man, who lived a perfect life, who died a death he did not deserve on our behalf to give us eternal life. Lord, and through that he is building up the church. As he is the chief cornerstone, we are living stones being built up into a holy structure. Lord, help us to see our role. Help us to see our responsibility as living stones. Help us to find our place and to strengthen the structure, Lord, and not do work in tearing it down. Lord, let your word reign in our lives today. Let it be true to us as it is in reality. We love you so much. We praise you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week we discussed the wonderful word of God. We saw how love was directly connected to uh, obedience to the word of God. And our obedience to the word is directly connected to our appreciation for the word of God. Basically, the more we appreciate the Word of God, the more we obey the Word of God, the more we obey the Word of God, the more we're able to love. Love and obedience to God are inextricably connected in the Bible. And therefore, in our lives, they should be considered the same. This is true of the gospel, obeying the gospel, the gospel calling to salvation. It's also true of just the spoken word of God as written in the Bible, just generically, the Bible. This is something that I believe that most of us accept, that the Bible is immensely important, that we can only grow when we uh, dive into the Bible and put our faith in Jesus, but put our faith in what he said in the Bible. I believe most of us accept this, but another thing we looked at last week and we found out, maybe for the first time, is that familiarity does not always breed appreciation. 
Just because we know that the Bible is important, just because we know that it's something we should dive into, just because we know that it's something we should sort of center our lives around. It does not always breed appreciation. So we should learn to love. We should learn to appreciate. I think this is done through the Holy Spirit, but I think it's also done by just just placing priority and importance. We just place priority and importance. That's how it happens. If you love your wife um, because you love her, but also if you love her, you place priority and importance over her. You prefer her. If you love your husband because you love him, you place priority and importance in him. But also because, not just because you love that person, but because you want to show them that you love them. You want to show that you appreciate them. And so I'm convinced that not only because we love Jesus do we prioritize the Bible, but because we want to show him that we're appreciative of the offering of his life that he gave to us. We're appreciative of what he's done for us. The word of God, it's wonderful. It's spectacular in so many ways. But for us, the greatest ways are found in how it connects us to God. The word of God connects us to God. The word of God purifies our soul. It causes us to be born again. It causes us to be more like Christ. And and most importantly, regardless of all the things it does for us, the word of God abides forever. Cannot be shaken, cannot be removed, cannot be destroyed. It abides forever. So let's make sure that we do our best to organize our life in a way. I'm going to say this a couple times today, that we triangulate our lives around the Word of God. Triangulate our lives around the things that God cherishes, that God adores, and we should do the same. So today we'll move on to the next section of chapter 2, found in verses 4 through 10, and we will look at the cornerstone of the church and the living stones of the church. Have you ever wondered why Christianity is so straightforward and easy for you to grasp, but so difficult for many others to grasp? Like, you saw a few things about God, they were so clear to you, they were easy to accept, and you started following Him. Now, I'm not saying that everything that you've ever seen or learned about the Lord has been easy to follow, but those elementary principles, they that when they first clicked or when they really finally clicked for you, they were so easy to follow. And then you have these friends who are otherwise intelligent and reasonable people, and yet they do not see Christ or the Christian faith in the same way that you do. Have you ever wondered why that is? What if I told you that it was meant to be that way, even predestined to be that way? Have you ever been in a discussion with a group of people where you knew that you were right? This happens to me often, by the way. You knew that you were right, but enough of the people around you disagreed with you that it caused you, this part not so much, that it caused you to doubt yourself? Have you ever been in a situation like that? You knew you were right, but there was enough people around you that disagreed with you, or there was just a little seed of uncertainty in you that caused you to sort of doubt yourself? Now, if we are more immature in our faith, we might look at the world and we might look at our friends. I mean, the truth be told, let's not, let's, let's not hide the fact that there is a lot 
of hatred for God and his word. There's a lot. Let's not hide the fact that there are way more non-Christians than there are Christians. So for the immature believer, we might look at the world and we might look at our friends and it might cause us to doubt. Often, I think is, uh, it, it's why we try to explain God away a little bit. Or uh, instead of holding fast, we try to sort of dumb down the gospel. Because we believe in our mind, well maybe if we can make it just a little more palatable, then uh, people will sort of come to my side. Often this is why our presentations of the gospel look weak and, and tepid, like we're offering someone something. Here, we're offering you this, this wonderful gift. It's like those people who get, like, sign people up for credit cards at football games. Like, uh, you get this free duffel bag of your favorite sports team, but all you have to do is sign up for a credit card. This is the gift we're offering you. The Bible doesn't command us to present the gospel as an offer of a gift. The Bible commands us to command people to repent and be baptized, to repent and trust in Jesus. Our offer of the gospel is weak because we do not trust that the God that we are offering is strong. We're to offer the gospel in strength. Often I think we are concerned more about the response of those that are listening than the response of the God who has called us to share our faith. We're to call everywhere, everyone, all people everywhere to repent. When Simeon prophesied about Jesus in Luke 2, 34, he said, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. It was destined that Christ would be a stumbling block to some and a cornerstone to others. Jesus was destined to have different effects on different people. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-16 says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphant procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are, to, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved, and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance to death, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. So to some, Jesus would be the cause of their rising. And to some, Jesus would be the cause of their falling. To some, a fragrant aroma of life unto life. And to some, a fragrant aroma of death unto death. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says that those, to those being saved, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. And to those who reject him, he is a rock of offense. So it was meant to be that way, that Jesus himself would not be one who gathers all people, but he would divide. He would divide those who would follow him by those who would not. To those who would follow him, Christianity would make sense. It would be sort of natural. It would be a relief. It would be, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we've been looking toward. To those who would not follow him, it would just be another stumbling block on man's search to find God. 
I would challenge you as you grow in your faith to not let the strength of your faith be determined or moved by the climate of the culture. To not let the strength of your faith be dictated by someone's acceptance or rejection of the gospel. I would let your faith be strengthened by what God has done and what God has said through his son. Now at times it will be strengthened by what you see him do through others and what you see him do through yourself. But I would challenge you to let the strength of your faith be not strengthened by what is happening around you, but what has happened in the past and what we know God has said about himself. Today we're going to look at Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the church. And we as the church being living stones. Today we're going to see Peter encourage the church in Asia, Asia Minor not with Spirit, not with the spiritual climate of the church or the people around them, but with the truth of Christ. Friends, if you stand in a moment of doubt, if you stand in a moment of fear, if you stand in a moment of withdrawing from the Lord, I would encourage you not to look at those around you, but look at the truth of Christ, the eternal truth of the God of the Bible, the eternal truth of the God of our salvation, the cornerstone of the church, the cornerstone of our lives, now and forever. So I've got two overarching thoughts uh, and some sort of points under it like I normally do. But the first is this. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Look at verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. What we learn most from verses 4 through 6 is that the status of Christians and the church is dependent upon Christ and nothing more and nothing less. The status of Christians and the church is dependent upon, let me, let me rephrase that and say it pr properly, the status of Christ and nothing more and nothing less. It is not, as I've already said, dependent upon the time or the ages, or what history says at that moment. It is dependent, our status is dependent upon the status of Christ. And it is important that we know his status. He says, as you come to him. Now this is a drawing near to God. Peter is leading our mind back to the Old Testament. And as the priest and the followers would come to the temple and come for worship. And he's saying, as you come to him, as you come prepared to offer your sacrifices, as you come to offer your uh, worship. But the greater meaning is found in the phrase, as you are coming, and then it goes on. As you come to him, look a little bit further. He says, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. So Peter is saying, as you come to him, you are being built. There is a continual growth promised to those who continue to seek the Lord. This happens in almost every area of our life at different times. As we are coming to the scripture, we seek God. We are 
excuse me, we are built by the scripture to love and cherish and long for the scriptures and therefore we seek more of the scriptures. As we are coming in prayer, we seek God. We are being built by prayer to love and cherish and long for prayer and therefore we want more prayer. As we are coming to the church to seek God, we are being built by the church to love and cherish and long for the church and therefore we want more of the church. This applies in almost every area of our lives. As you are coming, you are being built. Now it sounds like circular logic a little bit, but it's not. Peter is saying, as you seek God, you want more of God. The truth, the opposite truth of that is, is that as we withdraw from our pursuit, we want less. And so there is this problem that we, we, const- we all constantly face in our lives, and that is we often forget that all we have to do in order to long and desire for God more is to just seek him. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But like I've just stated a second ago, that doesn't just apply to God, but the things of God. The simple truth, and it's so simple, we will miss it and we will look in many other ways. The simple truth is if we want our prayer life to be strong, we seek a better prayer life. And the result is a prayer life that is strengthened. As you are coming to him, you are being strengthened. If we want our love for the church to grow, like we don't have to read books about it, although sometimes those help. We don't have to go and seek counsel about it. We don't have to wonder what's wrong with us. If we want our love for the church to grow, we seek after the church. We love the church. We pursue the church. We are about the church. And as we are growing or as we are coming, we are growing. If we want our love for the scripture to grow, and the, if the first two like sort of didn't hit for you, this has to, if you're a believer in here. If we want our love for the scriptures to grow, we seek the scriptures. And as we are coming, we are growing. Everyone who is a Christian in here that's ever sought God through the scriptures knows this. The more you seek the scriptures, it doesn't make you desire them less. It makes you desire them more. The more you avoid the scriptures, the least likely you are, the less likely you are to want to pursue them. Peter is saying the, the thrust for growing is coming to Christ. The thrust for growing in the things of Christ is coming to the things of Christ. As you come to him, you are growing. You are being built. There's this continual growth. It's it's promised growth. The more we seek after the Lord, the more we find him. He is not hiding from us. He is not playing a game where he wants us to like, like look for him, but he's like going to make it difficult. If anyone's hiding, it's not the Lord. So what does he say? As you are coming, you are being built what does he say you're being built into? 
He says you're being built into Jesus Christ, the living stone, and that's sort of underneath that. Jesus Christ is the living stone for point A. Peter says as you come, you are being built up because Jesus Christ is living. Friends, we do not serve a dead God who offers us dead things. The reason we keep growing and the reason we keep longing for more is when we pursue God, he is alive and his reward to us is life. And if you're met with the option to seek death after death or life after life, the common sense answer, the common sense pursuit for someone who is alive in Christ is to seek life. Because he is alive when we pursue the Bible, the Bible, we know the Bible is alive. We know that prayer is alive. We know that church is alive. And the result of seeking more life is never death. The result of seeking more life through Christ is never death. The result of consuming more life is what the Bible calls abundant life. Christ is alive. This is in opposition to the dead symbols of the old covenant. The cornerstone of the first temple does not exist. But Christ, the living stone, who is superior to that temple, is alive and well and living among us. The status of Christians depends not on our effort, not on our work, not on our will, but the status of Christ. And Peter said, Christ is the living cornerstone, the living stone of the church. Jesus gave Peter the name Cephas, which means rock. But here, Peter and and the Catholic church subsequently has taken that to mean that Peter is the cornerstone of the church. That Peter is the first pope. He is the the origin of the church in so many words. But here Peter is deflecting from his name, whereas he could take the name Cephas and say, I'm the rock. You told me I was the rock. You told me I was the stone. Peter is saying, you are the living rock, Jesus. And even more, he goes on further to say, you are the cornerstone of the church. Peter knows that his status as Cephas as the rock, depends not on his name, even though his name was given to him by Jesus, but depends on Christ himself as the living rock. Why do we keep growing? Why do we we keep longing for him? Why do we find our nourishment in him and him alone? Because he is alive and he is the living stone. Of the church. Why else? Because he is chosen by God and precious. Look at the end of verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Not only is Jesus alive, but he is chosen and precious in the sight of God. The Father who instituted the Old Testament sacrifices and wrote the scriptures and created all that was created knows that Jesus is not only alive, but he was chosen and precious to be the redemption of man. 
kind. Why do we keep growing and longing for God when we seek him? Because it was always intended to be that way. The sacrifices, the law, the ordinances, and all those weird things they did in the Old Testament were meant to draw people's minds and heart to Jesus in worship. It was always meant to be that way. It was always planned. It wasn't that God said, all these sacrifices in this temple and this institution that I've had, it just didn't work. So I've got to come up with another plan. Since the first plan didn't work, I guess the only plan that I can have that's going to work is to send my son. That's not how it worked. God said, look, I have a plan. You, have, you messed up in the garden here. It was intended for us to be together forever. But you messed up in the garden. But I have a plan. And I'm going to allow this plan to sort of work its way out in time. I'm not going to spoon feed it to you right away. But I'm going to give you hints and I'm going to give you types and I'm going to give you pictures and images of what is to come. And then in the right time, and what I believe is the end time, the initiation of Jesus, or Jesus coming to earth is the initiation of the end of times. I'm going to send my son. It was always planned to be that way. We found out in the first part of Peter, it, uh, the earlier parts that we've already studied, that it was not only planned, but it was predestined to be that way. The cross then, friends, should never be seen as a sign of weakness on God's part, but as a sign of power and a magnificent plan. We should not look at those who reject the cross as a failure on God's part, but we should instead look at the spiritual house that has been built by the cross with the living stones that are built by the cross. If you want to look at the power of God, look to your left and look to your right. If you want to look at the power of God, think of the hundreds of thousands, if not millions, for surely millions, that are worshiping today alongside us, the one true God. We should, when we know and we have faith and when we see the plan of God, we should not take a pessimistic view. So often we look at all the people that reject God and we say, why are all these people rejecting God? When in fact, we should look at all of these people who have no business following God, no business in the house of God, who are building the church as living stones. Jesus is chosen and precious. It was meant to be that. It was meant to be this way, friends. It was meant to be this way. I know that's hard to take sometimes because we live in a world where things are crazy, where there's massive uncertainty, where there's death and there's natural disasters and all that, but it was meant to be this way. And for reasons that God can explain better than I can to you, it's for His glory and for His purpose. So we should not look at the rejection of man the rejection of the gospel by man, but we should look at the acceptance. We should look at those, the power of God to save those he chooses. And not one that he chooses to save will be lost. There are many reasons for the rejection of the gospel. 
And while coming to Christ is the right choice, God knew that he would be rejected by men. So in some ways, we should expect rejection in our own lives. Christ was chosen by God and precious. If you go back to the Old Testament imagery, it's not like the fine gold or the gems that ordained the tent, uh, that ordained, what's the word I'm looking for? Ordained? I don't know. I just had a brain fart. Sorry. Not like the golden gems that were, that surrounded the temple. There's my lack of vocabulary for you. But eternal and everlasting. The first temple was filled with gold, filled with jewels. Where are they? They're gone. They were stripped in conquest. But Christ our Lord, the chosen and precious one of God, reigns forever. He builds a temple that cannot be destroyed. It cannot be devalued. He is a living stone. He is precious and chosen by God. But for what purpose? For what purpose? The third thought under Christ as a cornerstone is this. Upon Christ, the temple of God is built. Look at verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be, ho- to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Christ is not only the living stone, but he is the cornerstone of the church. This is an allusion to the temple again, where the temple was built. Uh, the first stone was put, that was put down for the building of the temple was the cornerstone. It was necessary that the cornerstone was as perfect as possible. It was smooth. It had straight lines. It was the best and strongest of all stones. The cornerstone was set in place first, and then every stone subsequently was built off of that cornerstone. So if the cornerstone was off just for a little bit, or just a little bit, the rest of the building was off. But if the builder was worth his weight and the cornerstone was right, then the building would also be right. Christ is the cornerstone of the church without flaw, without blemish. The living stone to which everything, everyone else is measured off of. Because he is perfect and living, then everything that is built upon him is being made perfect and is alive. And because of this truth, we know that through him, we are living stones. Look at verse the first part of verse 5. You yourself are living stones. You yourselves like living stones. Peter says, you yourself are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Not only is the church built off of Christ, but it is being built by us. It is not only built off the cornerstone, but is being built by us as a living stone. Similarly to Christ, humble believers are living stones upon which the church is built. The temple of Israel, <coughs> the temple of Israel was built. It was built on man-made stones. It was built by God, but it was built on man-made stones. It was built on stones that would perish, that would crumble, that would fade over time, but the new temple is spiritual and eternal and cannot be laid to waste. And the spiritual temple is made up of people who have souls that can never die. And these souls are redeemed forever. 
Peter encourages us then not to think of the church of God as a place when we worship, but as a people. Not to think of a place when we are growing in Christ, but a precious people that have endured from generation to generation. So as you keep coming to God in worship and prayer and praise, you are continually being built up into a temple where God more and more fully dwells. We are the church. We are the living stones, a spiritual house. And also this, not only living stones, but through him we are priests of God. He says to be a holy priesthood, being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now this is a reference to Exodus 19.6. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, the priesthood falls not on a family lineage of Aaron or a small group of people, but on all believers. There is no longer an elite priesthood, no longer limited access to God, no longer special physical adornments of God or are garbed, but just the people of God offering their spiritual sacrifices to a creator dressed in the righteousness of Christ. While the priest and the duties of the priest have changed, there are some similarities. Instead of bringing physical sacrifices, we bring spiritual sacrifices. Paul says in Romans that our sacrifice include our bodies. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In Philippians 4, we know we offer God uh, we know we offer our God-given gifts that spread the gospel. We've each been given gifts, the Bible says, and we offer them as priests of the new covenant. In Hebrews 13, we see it as our praise and our possessions that we offer to God as priests of the new covenant. So we can see anything that is physical or spiritual offered in the right way to God is performing our priestly duties. Not only are we living stones, but we are priests of God. I want to give you some applicable thoughts on this. Hopefully they'll be helpful. Since we are living stones on Christ, uh, uh, built on Christ, our spiritual health matters to everyone. Since we are living stones being built on Christ, our spiritual health matters to everyone. Since we are living stones built on Christ, the church community and fellowship are essential. The church community and fellowship are essential. You know, I'm not trying to bring up old corona things, but it is true that the church cannot exist apart from each other. The church is living and interconnected. And as living stones, we are built upon each other. And so our individual spiritual health matters to the next person. But also our presence matters to the next person. The church is not built up in isolation. It's built up in unity and communion. And since we are living stones built on Christ to strengthen the church, all we have to do is make new stones. There are so many people, and as you get older... You'll see this because I'm, I'm in the stage where I'm like the get off my lawn guy a little bit. Uh, the old guy that's get off my lawn. But as you, as you get older, you'll see this. There are so many people that look at the culture and they say, 
they are able to point out everything that is wrong with the culture, but no solutions to change it. I want to tell you, the simple solution to changing a culture is to having a church change a community. Is to having a church change the community around them. If you want the culture to change, it is a guerrilla warfare, ground war attack. It is not done on a national level, so to speak. It's not done at a federal level like we often think politics happens. It's done at the city level. It's done at the community level. All we have to do to change the culture is to make more living stones. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I know that, I know that it's not that easy, so to speak. But it is, in theory, it's that simple. We, as the church, we evangelize, we disciple, we build up the church. That's how you change culture. That's how you affect culture. Revival is seen not by like some, like the doors opening because the Spirit of God rustles in here and He blows in here. That's not how revival is seen. Revival is seen when the Spirit of God takes effect in the individual living stone of the church and that person sees their responsibility to build up the church. The church is built upon Christ and through us and we should lend, it should lend some immense encouragement to us. There's one more thing I want to give you, and I'm not going to spend much time on it because I think when we come back, this will be the last sermon in Peter uh, for the year. We're going to do our Advent series starting next week. I think when we come back, I'm going to sort of hit on this and the next little bit, next few verses. But I want you to see this, that the blessings of God come to those who believe. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." We not only have the responsibility to serve as living stones in the church, to, hope, to hold our place in this great spiritual house, but we also have the blessings of being a living stone in that house. By faith, we have come to receive his blessings. We're not only allowed in the house, we're not only allowed in the courts, but we are being built into this house. It is our house through Christ. Peter here is quoting Isaiah in which he notes that all of those spiritual living stones are giving are given honor. Now honor is one of the greatest blessings a believer can attain. We are giving honor because we have a seat at the table but also because our house is honorable. Yes, there are some bad apples in the church, but no matter what culture says to you, the house is honorable. The church is honorable because Christ is the head of the church and Christ is full of blessing and honor. 
If you, want to, if you want to be proven otherwise, if you don't think the church is honorable, just look at how the church works in the lives of the poor. Just look at how the church works in the lives of the sick. Look at how the church works in the lives of those who have been met with great disaster, in the lives of the most vulnerable people. Look at how the church rises in and during great trial. We should never see or think of the church as dishonorable just because of a few do dishonorable things. But we should see always the church as honorable because Christ, the head of the church, is full of blessing and honor. Yes, there are some bad apples. Yes, there are some hypocrites. Yes, we're going to be disappointed by the church. Yes, sometimes we're going to be embarrassed. But we have to ask ourselves if we are if we are embarrassed by the church, are we embarrassed because what the church is doing dishonors God or are we embarrassed because the culture has dictated that the church is wrong? And we align ourselves more with the culture than we do with the church. Honor comes to those who belong to God because he never fails and he never disappoints. This is unlike the builders who rejected him. The builders are those who have been left in charge of the faith over the years and rejected the Messiah both then and now. There are basically two options then for all of humanity. Either Jesus is the cornerstone upon which we build our life, or we, like the foolish builders, reject him, and then he is a rock of offense or something we keep stumbling over. This goes back to how I let off. Have you ever wondered why it's so easy for you and for others to follow Christ and impossible for many others? It is because we have placed our life on and around the cornerstone. And we triangulate our life around him. And as we do that, the more common sense it becomes to pursue, to love, and trust him. But the more a person rejects him, the more hostile they become towards him. Because everyone ultimately has a desire to follow God. It was implanted in them at creation. And it is maddening to long for the answer, to reject the right answer, the truth, and then to keep being disappointed in everything else that you pursue in the world. Hostility toward the gospel should not shock you then. It should not shake your belief. Peter says in verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the word of God as they were destined to do. It does not surprise God when people are hostile to the gospel because he knew that it was going to happen. He saw that it was going to happen. It was meant to be that way. Ultimately, to bring him honor and glory. It's similar to what we discussed in Romans 9. In Romans 9, Paul said that God raised Pharaoh up for that purpose. What was that purpose? For hardening his heart. For rejecting the truth of God. It is destined that some, many, will reject God. Don't be surprised by it. 
Don't let it think, don't let it make you think that God has lost his power or that the Bible and that salvation is ineffective. Just understand that what was supposed to happen is happening. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. But blessing and honor come to those who believe in him. Peter goes on in 9 and 10, and he lists these blessings out. And I'm not going to go into these because I think I'm going to go and do them later with you when we start back. But he says, but you are a chosen race. What he's saying is, unlike ethnic Israel, you are a new spiritual Israel. And it cannot be captured. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be scattered. You are a royal priesthood. We are... We are a body of living stones ministering to God through Christ and to the world with unhindered access to God. A holy nation. Unlike the ethnic Israel, unlike the ethnic nation of Israel, we had who had geographical and ethnic boundaries. Our nation is built upon our allegiance to a heavenly king with no geographic or ethnic boundaries. There is bountiful room in the house for all, a land with no borders, a people with no distinction from one another. He says, a people for his own possession. God has chosen us to be his people. And when we think about God, we should not wonder that God chose, so, like, chose some and not uh, others. We should not think, well, why did God choose some and not others? We should not think, why did God choose me and someone else? We should think, why did God choose anyone else, anyone at all? A people for his own possession. We are his now and we forever will be. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why have you been given all these blessings? Why are you a living stone? Why, are you a, why have you been given honor? Why are you a royal priesthood, a holy nation? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Proclaim his wonderful deeds. What are his wonderful deeds? Freedom from captivity, forgiveness and redemption out of darkness and into marvelous light. And not just for our sake, but for his glory. Friends, do you want to know where the search for meaning ends? It ends when we live our life for, when we enjoy fully, and we will, when we proclaim reg- regularly the excellencies of our God and Savior. Peter finishes by saying, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The cornerstone has been placed. The living stones are being added added around it. Christ is building up his church, and even the gates of hell will not prevail against this building. I want to leave you with verse 6 just as a closing thought. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. The only shame that is found for a believer is when we take our hands off the plow and we turn around and we look for a life that is dead, that is past. That is gone. There is never shame for a believer who keeps plowing ahead, 
Even though everything around them, even though sometimes in their gut, it says, turn around, turn around. Reject this. This can't be true. When doubt creeps in, when other things creep in, there's never shame for a believer who keeps plowing ahead. The only shame is found when we turn around and we look back and we seek after the dead and old things of an old life. Pray with me today. God, you're good. You're holy. There is none like you. You've given us life. You've given it to us abundantly. Lord, I pray that you would just help us to focus on this. To not focus on the things around us or the circumstances of life, but to focus on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of the church, the living stone of the church, the life of the church. Lord, our status with you is dependent on the status of Christ. And the status of Christ is good, holy, and perfect, and reigning with you forever. And so as living stones, he is making us like him into living stones. Being perfected every day. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for all that you've done in our lives. We pray that you continue to give us the strength to follow this message and not just hear it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.